Well, friends, it's my favorite season of the year. And you might think I'm crazy because it's hot in the summertime. But what I love about the summer is that it, it begins with Memorial Day weekend where there's lots of celebrations, lots of remembrances, and it ends with a holiday we call Labor Day. And when I was growing up up north, that meant going back to school. But we go back to school a little bit earlier um, here in Florida. But right smack dab in the middle of summer is a holiday called the 4th of July, Independence Day. We love to celebrate it, and this year there's actually going to be fireworks. How about that? Yay? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the fireworks. You know, and it's good that we spend time on the 4th of July celebrating our nation's independence, shooting off fireworks, having barbecues with our families. It reminds us that we are a blessed nation, that we have lots of um, benefits of living in a free country. But you know, when the 4th of July is over, there's the 5th of July. And we have to wait a whole year to celebrate again. But really, as Christians, we need to recognize that there is a freedom that even surpasses what we enjoy living in this nation as a free people. And that's the freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. That's a freedom that goes beyond the boundaries of any one country. It goes beyond the boundaries of time. And it offers us freedom over the worst things, sin and death. And so during this weekend, the next three weeks, we are going to talk about that very special freedom that we find in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, using the word free that you see behind me, the F stands for formed. We are formed in Christ through a process that is lifelong. That's what we're going to talk about today. Next week, we're going to talk about being redeemed. And then we are going to talk for the two E's about being empowered and encouraged. And those things happen in our lives throughout their duration, from the time we're babies to the time we're adults, even when we fall by the wayside sometimes, and we'll talk about that too. Now to teach these lessons about freedom, I'm going to turn to Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Is there anyone in this room who's ever read the book of Romans at least early on, the first time you read it, and scratched your head and thought, oh, this is really hard? This, these words, these long sentences, why didn't the people who taught Paul to speak and to write teach him to use commas? Because there's lots of places where I wish a five-line sentence would be broken down into a couple. So what I've done through the years, it's, this is probably the most difficult book, um, was the most difficult book for me to navigate. And what I did to learn how to navigate it was to read Romans in several different translations. New King James Version, New International Version, the, um, Living the New Living Translation is a little easier, but I always end up rereading whatever I've read in Romans in the message to make sure that I'm getting the gist of it in language that I can understand. So I encourage you in the week ahead, if you want to spend some time in God's Word, to um, pick up your Bibles and read Romans, particularly chapters 5 through 7. 
which kind of covers what we're going to talk about today. And if you feel ambitious, read chapter 8. That's where I'll be teaching from next week. Now let me set the stage for you before we um, turn to our text. In the book of Romans, Paul is endeavoring, and he does it very well, to connect God's promises from the beginning to the fullness of life in Christ as Christ was revealed in his day. He goes all the way back and speaks of the sin of Adam, um, pushing humanity, drawing humanity away from God, and how God liberated the nation of Israel from enslavement in Egypt as his first work of freeing people, and how he, he gave Moses the Mosaic Law, but human beings, being who we are, weren't able to follow the law. We couldn't be reconciled to God through our own attempts, or the Israelis couldn't be um, reconciled to God through their attempts to follow the law, because as, as weak and broken and frail human beings, we just can't follow the law on our own. So God sent his one and only beloved son to redeem us, and in Christ, through God's gracious gift of Christ, we can find real freedom that doesn't mean we have to follow meticulous rules that are given in the law. And that's where I'm going to begin today with, uh, in chapter 6, verses 15 through 18, where, where Paul gives a warning about how we're to receive this grace. And this is what he has to say. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. There's an awful lot of talk about slavery in that passage. And I was so tickled when I heard Allison say, uh, when she was talking about the song, No Longer Slaves, she said, you know, we cast off our chains when we find Jesus. I'm going to actually suggest something a little different to you than that, but she's right. We do cast off our being chained to sin. But we need to reflect on the term slavery to understand what Paul was really speaking about. You know, in Paul's day, there were slaves in the world who had masters who could oppress them, who could end their lives, who could rule over them. As Americans, when we think about slavery, we tend to think about the period in our history when black people were forced to come to America and to serve slave masters and work on plantations. But those forms of slavery, as though, although they exist in society, Paul is talking about a different kind of slavery. He's talking about slavery as um, the thing we are chained to by our choice to show our greatest allegiance to that thing. So he's not talking necessarily about having a human master, but about having an idol as a master. There's a French philosopher, 
Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Rousseau, who said it this way, freedom is the power to choose your own chains. Freedom is the power to choose your own chains. And the Bible gives us all kinds of examples of people who were choosing to be chained to things of this earth and Jesus is teaching about how people should turn away from those things. The first one that comes to mind is money. Okay, we have um, the rich young ruler. That's a story that Pastor Bob often turns to. He's a young man, a well-to-do man. He's got power, and he wants to follow Jesus. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm here. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, fine, great. You can follow me, but you need to sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor, and then you can follow me. And in that moment, that rich young man chose to be a slave to his money instead of a slave to Jesus. He made a choice. On the other hand, we have that wee little man the children sing about, the tax collector Zacchaeus, who had to climb a tree to see Jesus. And when Jesus called him to come down from the tree and Jesus joined him at Zacchaeus' home for a meal, Zacchaeus was so moved by Jesus and his teaching and his attention and his forgiveness that he vowed to give back all the taxes he had overcharged people with even extra, more than he had taken from them, so that he could follow Jesus. He made a different choice than that rich young ruler. But money is not the only thing we can become enslaved to. We can become enslaved to our ambitions, constantly chasing after the next degree or the next promotion. And we do that at the expense of our faith and our family. Many of us do that. I can't tell you how many times I regret all the years I spent in school when I should have been spending some of those years paying attention to the people I love most. You see, I chose my ambitions over things that should have been put first, including our God. In the Bible, we see ambition even within the disciples. Remember the stories about how James and John kind of argued about who would sit at Jesus' right hand and who would sit at Jesus' left hand? They were ambitious. But Jesus reminded his disciples, you know, you're not understanding what I'm telling you. To really have your place high in the kingdom of heaven, you need to make yourself a servant of people here on earth. Your ambitions won't get you there. Your willing to serve will get you there. Then we have people who are enslaved to status. Maybe we all suffer from that sometimes in our lives. Some of us might not, but you know what it's like when you want to keep up with the neighbors, you want to keep up with your friends, the cars they buy, the houses they live in. You want to make sure the world knows that yeah, you've landed, you've arrived, you have what it takes to be considered a success. There were people like that in the Bible. The religious rulers were like that. Jesus admonished them again and again for the way they lorded it over the people and acted like they were better than the people they were supposed to teach and serve. That wasn't okay with Jesus then, and it's not okay with Jesus now. You know, Henry Nouwen has a book that lots of pastors are told to read in seminary, and it tells us to make sure that we don't become enslaved to power, relevance, or popularity. 
that we have a different role than seeking those things, that those shouldn't be our primary focus. And when pastors focus on those things, we tend to be thinking about our status as a pastor instead of our servanthood. But there's another thing. There's power. I mentioned power. There are many people who spend their lives trying to acquire the right and the ability and the power to tell other people what to do. Sometimes we exert power in a way that's not healthy even over our own children or as adult children over our aging parents. Sometimes we see that kind of power exerted in the workplace in ways that aren't healthy. And in, in the Bible, the person I think of most clearly is King Saul in the Old Testament. God chose him to be the first king of Israel, and he abused his power, he disobeyed God, and then when God appointed someone else, King David, to take his place, Saul did everything he could to try to kill David because he was clinging to that power. And the more he clung to power, the more he moved away from God. So those are some biblical examples that we still see at work in our lives today. Money, ambition, status, and power. But I would add one more to that list because, friends, I really think we, a lot of us, and I'm pointing at myself when I say this, a lot of us allowed ourselves to become enslaved to our political priorities in 2020. You know, I was, and I participated in this. I confess it to you, and I'm ashamed of it. There were times I posted things on Facebook that weren't loving toward people who took a different view than I took. And that also happened to me. And the people I'm talking about were Christians who forgot for a moment what, meant, what it meant to love one another and love our neighbors, and we allowed our political persuasion, whatever flavor we happened to be, vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, whatever political flavor you were, we allowed that to become more important than loving one another. And when that happened, we were putting our political preferences ahead of following Christ's teaching. I say again the words that Paul wrote. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. In this sense, Paul is suggesting to you and to me that we become slaves to whatever holds our highest allegiance and we get to choose we get to choose but we need to choose carefully you know we sang a few minutes ago the song no longer slaves I'm no longer a slave to sin I am a child of God and Allison was right she said the chains of sin and death fall away when we recognize ourselves as children of God. But I would suggest to you today that instead we choose a different set of chains. Not like the shackles that slaves wore in America back in the 17 and 1800s, but we choose what Jesus called a yoke. He said, take on my yoke because my burden is easy. Take on my yoke. 
So think of it as a yoke if the word chain causes you a problem. But the truth is, we choose that thing to which we will be chained, just like the rich young ruler did more than 2,000 years ago. You see, God's desire for us is that we would be reconciled to God after Humanity broke from God through sin. He has given us a way to be reconciled. God wants us to reciprocate the love that's poured out on us. God wants us to love God and love our neighbor. But God wants us to choose to love that way. And so we have this thing we know as free will. You know... There are times when I've heard people say, well, why did God give us free will? If he hadn't given us free will, Adam wouldn't have chosen wrong and everything would be fine and we all live in one big happy family with God. But I would suggest this to you, friends. God gave us free will because he wanted us to choose to return his love because love that is coerced is not love at all. It's a choice we have to make. And we have to make it as individuals, but we also have to make it as the church. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. He said, human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of people willing to be co-workers with God. I love that notion co-workers with God God didn't need us to be in ministry with God he can accomplish everything and anything he wants to without our help but he wants us to be co-workers and to choose to be co-workers so that we help build the kingdom so that we grow in grace and see this idea of grace is very important to our understanding of the kind of freedom we have in Christ. You see, God works his grace in us throughout our lives. He pours out grace before we even know it. He keeps on sending that grace to guide us and woo us toward him, even when we've fallen away. When I think of the earliest operation of God's grace, I think about baptism. A few weeks ago, we baptized a sweet little baby, Kay's grandson. And I am thinking that that tiny little boy didn't know the first thing about grace or what God was doing in him. All he knew was that Pastor Bob splashed too much water on his face and he didn't like it. Am I right, Kay? Yep. But what you don't see after Pastor Bob sprinkles someone in baptism where he's baptizing with water He makes the sign of the cross on the person being baptized forehead and calls upon the Holy Spirit to enter this person and guide this person. And that's a symbolic act that reminds us that God's grace even enters the tiny little infant. And with God and us in cooperation with God raising up our children, God's grace draws those children to a point where they're willing to accept Jesus, which is that next part of the grace that God pours out on us. When we get a little older and stronger in our faith, we make a decision at some point in time to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. 
Sometimes that happens gradually over life because we're raised in the church and then we have confirmation day. Other times it happens later in life. But we choose to accept Jesus and say, forgive my sins, I want you to be my Lord and Master. And in the moment that we pray that prayer or we take that belief into our hearts, then God sees in us a righteousness that we have not earned, but that we are given because of the acts of Jesus on the cross. And you might think, boy, provenient grace that happens in babies and justifying grace that happens when I'm confirmed or when I accept Jesus. Man, that's tough. That's hard. I have to give up a lot to do that. But the hard work really begins right at that point. And that's at the point where as a a believer and a follower, a professed Christian, we have to keep working and allow God to work in us to go through a process of growing in grace that we call sanctification. And sanctification happens when we do the things that we need to do to stay close to God, to put God first instead of those other temptations and things of the world, to make God our first priority, to wear that yoke that connects us to God. And sometimes adults fall away. I know I did. I was 23 years old when my mother died and I shook my fist at the heaven right after watching my father do the same thing and I walked away from church for 28 years. But you know, God's grace kept working. And some of it was that provenient grace showing up again, wooing me when I didn't even realize it to come back to the church. It's never too late. We can backslide. Maybe some of you today are watching online because you feel like you shouldn't be in the building with other believers, that what you've done is too wrong or something like that. Don't let yourself believe that. It is never too late. If it was ever too late, it would have been too late for me and you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me this morning. I promise you. God does miraculous things and his grace works throughout our lifetime. But to let that grace work in us, we have to follow the advice that Paul gave to Timothy in his second letter. This is what he said to Timothy. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Wow, that passage is four verses and it's jam-packed with advice about how we can become a little more sanctified each day and how we can grow in grace in our discipleship. It says, remain faithful. Trust those who teach you. Learn the scriptures, which implies studying them, not one time, but as a habitual thing. It says, trust Jesus. Make the decision to accept the work that he did for you on the cross. In other words, accept God's grace and allow We should all accept God's grace and allow it to make us the people 
who God wants us to be. You know, I'm glad we're going to celebrate the 4th of July next week. I'm not knocking the 4th of July. It's a fun holiday. It's a happy holiday. It's a joyful midsummer holiday that just reminds us of how lucky we are. The holiday, though, reinforces our secular notions of our individualism. We pull ourselves up by... Our bootstraps, or as a poet once said, we are the masters of our own ship, the masters of our own destiny. Friends, if we want to be free in Christ, we are not rugged individualists. We are people joined together in the body of Christ who do choose to follow a master named Jesus. We have to give up the secular notions or at least separate them from the kind of freedom that we learn about in the Bible. The 5th of July is going to come. 4th of July will be over, and we'll wait another year to celebrate our national freedom again. But you know what? We celebrate a holiday in the spring, usually in April. You know the holiday I'm talking about? I'm talking about Easter. The freedom we celebrate on Easter, the freedom we celebrate when we know that we too will join in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior is greater than any freedom that can be given to us by any military force, by any government, by any nation. It's a freedom we need to cling to and that we can celebrate year-round but we have to learn to live in the tension of the difference between political and national freedom and freedom in Christ. They're both good things. They are not equal. And so today I invite you to continue with me the next three weeks as we talk about this freedom that we can choose, the freedom to be formed, redeemed, empowered and encouraged because that kind of freedom is freedom indeed.